Let's go. Hello, and welcome to Sustain Open Source Design. Is it Sustain Our Design? No, it's Sustain Open Source Design. Yes, yes. Sustain Open Source Design. SOS. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Sustain Open Source Design Podcast, a podcast about, you guessed it, sustaining open source design. I'm Jangus Garupa, filling in for Richard Villa Tower, and joining me today is Ricardo Vasquez. He's a senior UX manager at Wealthsimple, bringing UX leadership to trade, invest, and crypto product markets. Ricardo, why don't you tell us a little bit about what brought you into this world of open source design? Oh, absolutely. I think it's really, honestly, curiosity that led me to this point. And the history that I have with Mozilla, one of the first places in which I, I grew to become a, the designer that I am, I owe a lot to that experience and a lot to, to just being able to be surrounded by humans that were as curious as me and through that process, learning more, doing more, building more, sharing more. Open source design has definitely placed a very soft spot in my heart, let's say, since then. Absolutely. And, you know, that kind of brings me to the next question. You know, in the financial sector, we don't normally think of that as an open field. That's often very, very closed doors. So how are you navigating that? How are you bringing that curiosity, that openness, that sense of sharing to this field? In terms of design, which is obviously, as you know, the intro mentioned where I focus on, I think one of the ways that we are building and we are certainly moving the needle on becoming more open is by sharing our practices, sharing our file structures. We put all our work on Figma community. Figma has a wonderful suite of community of third-party authors, community members that publish their work and publish not just work and, and plugins that help the rest of the community, but also tools, toolkits, Figma file structures, documentation, all that. We hope that begins to open ourselves because you're absolutely right. The financial space has historically been closed. Yeah, absolutely. So that's really interesting. So you publish everything on Figma. Do you use Figma as like a professional tool for predominantly for your work? Yes. I've been using Figma even in my previous role at Shopify. We moved from Sketch to Figma. And then Figma just has continued to run with the love the community has given this app and with a community and with being able to publish these plugins. When I was working at Shopify, we did the same. You know, the difference, and this is also a tension that I feel in my career coming from Mozilla or having spent close to three years working at Mozilla and working in the open and being able to do things like Arab design, which, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about moving away from that and now moving into companies in which you have an NDA. You can't just share everything that you're working on. That creativity that I mentioned, you know, at the beginning certainly helps in trying to find ways to still be able to impart and share back learnings and the passion that one has about the things that you're passionate about. For me, it's design systems, processes, communication, storytelling. I try to find ways to open source that. Figma communities have definitely been a really integral part of that. Obviously, podcasts like these have been great. The conferences as well have been wonderful to open source as much as, as I can. Perhaps not getting to the point where we can share the work that is ongoing. Like, for example, I was able to do at Mozilla. 
when I was working there, but sharing the processes that led us to that or that are leading us to create something simple, intuitive, and seamless. Fantastic. I mean, that's a marvelous mission statement. And I know we'll get to this in a little bit, but I can tell that you have been teaching open source work and UX work in the past as well because of how marvelously concise and well thought out that was. So with that being said, you touched on bringing curiosity and creativity into a space that is, you know, traditionally a little more closed off, perhaps a little bit more conservative. Would you describe the open source design community as like a very creative and open space, like an easy space to be in? Open source design as a whole? Absolutely. Open yeah. source design has been, and, and the community, the open source design community in general has been the friendliest, the most welcoming community that I have ever been a part of, quite honestly. I left Mozilla in 2016. And to this day, I've yet to find that community of practitioners, open source, third party volunteers even that would contribute to Mozilla, not just from an engineering perspective, from a UX perspective as well. I've yet to meet a community like that, that is tight, integrated, curious, intelligent, driven, passionate to advance the collective. I think that's what open source does as a whole. It doesn't advance the individual. It helps or it seeks to advance the collective. For that, I have open source communities and open source organizations. I have loved the mission that they have, that they follow. And to this day, for example, Mozilla, I continue to fervently believe in the mission that they have about net neutrality and turning everyone into creators of the web, not just consumers of the web. In my time at Mozilla, that's where we were focused on. I worked both at the Mozilla Foundation as well as the, as the Mozilla Corporation. In the Mozilla Foundation, we worked on tools that would help folks learn about the technologies that they were consuming each and every day. And then fly to different places to teach in boot camps or in workshops. One of them, and this is like something that has been ingrained in my memory, was when we flew to Chicago to teach a workshop full of kids how to use, back then, there was a tool called Thimble, which allowed you to create essentially a, almost a web page, a very simple web page, but it was kind of like CodePen. What CodePen is today, that's what we were creating in Mozilla called Thimble. And it was incredibly rewarding to be able to not just create that or, well, collaborate towards creating Thimble, but then be able to fly to places around North America and, and teach it and really see that collective that I just mentioned, right? Seeing that collective improve and kind of like arming these youth really with the tools that they need in order to become creative within this field and creative with the tools that we have accessible today. Yeah, you mentioned a minute ago, open sourcing creative storytelling. And I think that phrase really piqued my interest. And I wonder if you would elaborate a little bit more on that. I think this is tied to something that I feel is a core competency of designers. I feel like sometimes when we're, and I fell victim to this. So this is where I guess the wisdom perhaps is coming from. As novice designers, we believe that the path towards influence will be in technical output, deep and in, in incredible technical UI skills and UX skills. The more that I have spent time in this industry, which I think now is 11 years in this industry, the more I realize that those skills are not what lead you to impact change and to influence others and to influence the thing that you're working on. It's actually storytelling. It's storytelling. It's being able to frame the opportunity in a way that 
not just stakeholders will be able to align, but the community, the people that we're designing to can also rally behind. So I always focus when I'm teaching or even when I'm speaking in conferences, I focus a lot on storytelling and, and imparting that importance onto others. Storytelling is an ability that allows us to be able to understand who the protagonist is, understand the adventure that they're about to take. There's a wonderful book by Joseph Campbell. The book is called The Hero with a Thousand Faces. And in that book, you learn all about narrative structures and narrative storytelling. One of the most popular narrative structures is the hero's journey. From Beowulf and Grendel to Harry Potter, the narrative structure of a story follows a very similar path. And this is because humans communicate with each other through stories. So from a design perspective, right, when we're designing for humans in, in an open source frame set, we're designing for communities as well. And we're designing for the collective. What better way than framing the thing that you're building, the thing that you're designing than with a story, with a finite start and end. And in this loop of the hero's journey, you get a chance to learn how to frame your project. I think this is where open source, I've seen some wonderful open source designs that follow the story pattern that pull you into the story and the adventure, quite honestly. They don't just show you this is what we built. They show you this is why we built it. And this is why someone like you might need it. That's where I feel like open source design and source maybe in general can continue to move the needle forward towards impacting this collective change is by adding on to that, not just the wonderful community that, you know, the tight knit grasp that this community has created, the wonderful, curious human beings that this community has fostered, but also grabbing other folks' attention that might not be part of the open, site, open source community through that storytelling. I mean, like pulling them with this journey alongside the journey that they're creating. And we can see this in third-party plugins and in open source libraries. We can see folks starting to move the needle towards telling the story of why this is important for others. And in doing so, I feel like we're going to build a lot of momentum and, and open source communities will also begin to gain a lot more followers and a lot more of that collective insight. It reminds me of a professor that I had in college that told us repeatedly, I care about your design. I care about your work. But if you can sell me on the story of what you did, you will pass. Completely agree. And it stands true in so many things that we do every day is, you know, living that narrative and working that narrative into what we are doing. I mean, it's also available in the work that you and I both do is that developing that sort of user experience user flows and personas, those are just terms for storytelling. Those are just terms for telling a story. And by helping a client to understand the narrative that they're trying to tell, they can in better inform what they're designing to suit that narrative. Completely agree. And I feel like the earlier that a designer harnesses the superpower, so to speak, I think obviously the better one of the reasons why I started when I was working at Mozilla, I started this YouTube series. It was called The Hour of Design. And in this hour of design, I would spend one hour a week. That's where I started, one hour a week. And I would live stream my designs. I did it so that I could honestly, looking back, hindsight bias, mind you, but that process to gain a voice on how I approach design. So in this YouTube series, I would spend an hour and the egg began because I was working at Mozilla and everything was open. I could share what I was working with the rest of the world. And my focus at the moment was to demystify the fact that 
we're not just creating beautiful boxes and wonderful layouts. We're really making choices. Design is about making choices. Design is not about solely about aesthetics. And design is not solely about choosing the best palette or, or the best font pairings. Design is about making very rigorous choices sometimes. And I wanted to build transparency into that process and truly make it open source. And in the process, I hoped that I would teach novice designers or folks that wanted to join the design industry and be vulnerable that most of the design, as you know, 80% of the design that you go through, of the iterations that you go through, you think they're terrible. It's, oh my God, I wish it was only 80%. <laughs> You're right. I should have said 90, 95, but it, it is so true. I feel like when you see communities like Dribble or communities like Behance, everything's beautiful, like technical detail and just like skill is, couldn't be stronger. Although I love and admire communities like that for different reasons, for a novice designer, it can almost make them feel they're not suited for this. What they bring, which can be storytelling, which can be something like the myriad of other things that design that you need in the design field in order to be successful and be influential. They feel like it's only the UI skill set or it's only the visual design skill set. So I wanted to bring transparency and openness to failure in a way. And I feel like it gave me that. And it also, in hindsight, allowed me to begin to understand my storytelling voice. So the earlier that one can do it, absolutely, I feel like the better. I'd say the worst thing for my entire design career was Instagram. I think that was single-handedly the worst thing that happened to my personal design career was getting on there and finding the design tags. Yes, it is. <laughs> it can be very crushing if someone isn't prepared or can, even if you are prepared, being unaware of the process that went into each piece yeah. before it is published is just, it can be harmful. Absolutely. And I think that's where like the onus of open source communities, maybe this is not our responsibility, but we certainly have the power to bring transparency towards that process. Because as I mentioned previously, not in every place can you do something like that. So if you work in an open source project in an open source community or open source company, maybe my call to action to those folks is to open your process as well. Not just the deliverable that you're working on, which is of course, as we said, is improving the collective, but the process to get some folks like we, we can see in GitHub, GitHub repos and issues. Yeah, they're definitely working in the open. Bugzilla for Mozilla working in the open. But how you get one ticket from open to close, that showcasing transparency on that and, and openness there. I feel like it would be amazing if we continued on this full transparency, full openness and share with others how we were able to improve or how we were able to ship and documented. There are some libraries and third party, yes, sure, but also open source projects that do this. Well, I want to see more of that, right? And then through that process, you get to build your storytelling skills. And through that process, you get to understand how to frame the problem. You get to also learn from your failures yourself. When I was doing these live streams, I would be quite honestly, very self-conscious about my failures, but that spotlight on the failures almost allowed me to understand why I failed and then be able to like, just be a bit more methodical the next time around. So it helped me out so, so much. In the hour of design, in the latter videos that I recorded, a group of students reached out to me and they were from Chicago. They were working on this open source application, mobile application called Ride With Me. 
And this application was geared towards allowing someone to find the transit schedules and seeing buses live where they were throughout the city of Chicago. They reached out to me because they had the technology. They were working in a school. They were all students. I think they were all around 15, 16, 17 years old. I was super inspired by their drive. And they asked if I could help and if I could use Ride With Me as a project on these live stream sessions. So I said, absolutely, let's 100% do it. So I am working in the open, helping out an open source project, not just that, but also helping out other students. So students came online with me or in the live stream with me and we designed things together. I didn't want just me making the decisions on color choices or, or you know, the decisions that come in designing an app. So I would bring them onto the live stream and we would make decisions together. We would co-create. It was wonderful. Despite it being that, you know, live stream or not, just the fact that I was able to, through this process, reach out to a group of students that were seeking something similar, that were seeking some help from a designer in the field, I think is wonderful. That's, I think, where the value of open source truly lies is in discovering opportunity. That's, I feel like, where open source is, is magical at times. You are working on something that you're incredibly passionate about and all of a sudden opportunity strikes or discovery. There's a discovery of the project and it gets people together with this common interest. And well, the rest is history after that, really. For us, we created this app we designed it. I didn't create it. I just designed it. It was already actually created. It was just needing some UI really tweaks. It was, it was mainly visual design and content hierarchy, visual hierarchy, things like that. But I'm still to this day quite proud of having done that in the open and having at the same time helped an open source project. It was a very fun time. You know, I think that that provides really wonderful transparency and also extremely valuable education. One of the things that looking back on my own education and career, which is the only thing that I can look back on, is the one thing that I wish I could have learned more is that collaboration, that sense not only of understanding how to collaborate and how to you know make requests of collaborators, but also how to know when you need to request that too. That's incredibly mature and prepared of these students. I mean, that's remarkable. Completely agree. Oh my gosh, yeah. Couldn't agree more with what you said. And that can bring us into the next thing that I'd love to talk about is your teaching career. You've mentioned it a little bit in the pre-show notes, and I'd love to hear more about how you got into that. I can kind of understand a little bit from our conversation so far about why you do this and you know what would drive you there. But tell me a little bit about that process. It's funny because I started teaching in the open. I modeled what I had learned at Mozilla, and, and that was actually my very first experiences with it. I started teaching quite honestly, yes, out of curiosity, also out of fear, Django, perhaps like it was, I started teaching because I didn't know things. For example, I was working in a startup and the startup was a Rails startup. It was, you know, Ruby on Rails was the technology of choice in that startup. I was a designer coming in, but I've always been very comfortable coding. However, I did not know Rails. So I decided to start teaching Ruby. I signed myself up to be a not a teacher, but like a TA, let's say, for a workshop. This like open source workshop that was being held at the Mozilla offices, actually. This is what was before I joined there. And that acted as a forcing function for me to learn Ruby so that then I could teach it to others. And it was honestly wonderful. It gave me such a rush to be able to teach. First, just help out because I wasn't teaching. 
and then leverage communities like Meetup, for example, and then create my own like completely separate Meetup, I guess, in quotations, to teach things like FramerJS at the time and continues to be true this day, but it's a prototyping tool. Well, back then you need to write coffee script to be able to move something on the page. And I wanted to bridge the gap between designers not knowing how to code, but also being scared of this thing called framer. Like, oh my gosh, I need to write coffee script. I wanted to show others that it's, it's not hard. And yes, I wanted to do it in the open. So I created these meetups and these communities to begin to teach. And through that process, going back to like, finding your voice, I was able to find my voice fully through the act of teaching 100%. I now focus on teaching UX and, and UX alone. I teach design thinking, UX, a user experience and user interface design. So mainly focused now more centered around design. But in the early days of me teaching, I was exploring anything. I co-created a meetup called Toronto Design, if they, I feel like it was called, or Design Toronto. And this was an attempt for me to bring people together because for about two years of my career, I was very focused on that, on, on bringing people together. Because if open source taught me one thing, had taught me one thing back then, was that bringing people together creates magic to the point that we, we spoke about earlier. All I needed to do, however, and the hardest part about open source design sometimes is just the act of bringing people together. So I created a meetup and... I started to create a timeline, kind of like an agenda of uh, different events, different speakers, different topics. And it grew to be actually a really wonderful tool for me to get to know people, but also for others to kick off projects of their own. And to this day, I continue to have friends that I made from the meetup and I continue to see projects and spinoff meetups from that original meetup that we created, I think now 10 years ago. So it's been now quite a while. But yeah, I continue to teach this day first out of fear. And now I do bring a, a bit more of, of a solid perspective as well. Now I use it as a tool to teach others, for example, the value of storytelling or the value of observation, for example. If there's one thing I want to do with teaching user experience design and user interface design thinking is to focus away from the technical aspects of our work, focus away from wireframes, focus away from the color palettes and choices, instead focus on communication, storytelling, framing. The act of observation is more than critical in our field. So in the courses that I teach, I focus a lot on that. Let's train you how to observe the world around you. Because once you observe the world around you and once you're able to truly see what is out there, that's when ideas begin to click. That's when your mind is like, no, 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 this could be better. And that is the mind of a designer, someone that is consistently observing the world around them and then like critiquing it almost inside of their head. And I think this is, you know, when two designers speak to each other, they are able to be able to say with very little words what needs to improve in the world and open source design and open source communities in general also bring that level of collective improvement that we've been chatting about. It seems that you are very focused on and driven by the very first step in design thinking, which may not always be addressed by education is, you know, empathize. Completely. Absolutely. Understand, right? right? Like of that first incredibly important pillar of design thinking. Yeah. I've used this analogy in the past to discuss this is that designing is very much like painting. And if you've ever painted a house, how much work goes in before 
You put the paintbrush on the wall to prepare for everything. You tape off all of the corners. You lay tarps down. You prep all the walls. And the actual painting isn't that long, but all the prep, all of that understanding your material, understanding what you want to do, that's where the work comes in. That's what design is. It's the 80-20. 80% of the times understanding the problem, 20% of the time executing on it. Completely agree with that. Absolutely. This is a good segue into another one of my passions and something that I've spent the last five years of my career doing, which is design systems or thinking in systems. Because thinking in systems and design systems in general also allow you to do something very similar of a goal of understanding first and then being able to execute in a very rigorous way. Design systems, I feel like, do just that. For me, and there's this wonderful book called Thinking in Systems that I would recommend. If you are, listener, thinking about design systems and just like systems thinking in general, this one book called Thinking in Systems is incredible and I would call it critical towards progressing your career as a designer. In that book, the author explains a system is really an interconnected set of elements. There's these elements and they're coherently organized in a way that it achieves something. So these elements achieve a purpose. And we don't have to look far to to look at successful systems. We follow systems like subway systems, for example. We even self-impose systems. For example, Picasso painting during his blue period. He painted essentially monochromatic paintings in blue and green shades, only occasionally worn by other colors. He put these blinders on this system so that he could produce more creative results. We're also a product of systems like schools. A school is a system. A city is a system. A factory, corporation, the national economy is a system. We're all systems. I think once you begin to think about that, and this comes back to our point about observation and how observation is integral to the growth of a designer, you realize that the purpose of a system is really to solve problems and create desirable futures with you know, minimal side effects. There's always going to be side effects of thinking in system. A system is never perfect at the end of the day. A system is meant to solve problems and create desirable futures. And if we flip this into, or not flip this, but if we put the same transplant, the same thinking into a design system, we can understand what a design system's purpose is. A design system's purpose is solve problems for other designers and create desirable futures, scalable futures with less side effects. And the side effect here would be lack of coherency or lack of a structure. So very successful design systems create that structure, create that purpose. And I love design systems. And this is, I think, where like maybe my worlds have collided because yes, the past five years I've spent in design systems, but also design systems are a wonderful, open way of working. And for other designers to see, to peek into, for example, IBM has a design system called Carbon. They have open sourced that design system. You're able to go to the IBM website and read all of its documentation, read the purpose, the do's and don'ts, the usage, the limitations, understand how the design team at IBM have decided to scale and have decided to create this system with purpose so that it creates desirable futures with less side effects. The same thing goes with the company that I used to work at, Shopify. We created a design system as well there. This design system was focused on point of sale devices, so brick and mortar stores that we have downtown. 
in uh, downtown metro area, they have point of sale devices. Shopify had created these point of sale devices and software applications, tablet apps and mobile apps in order to encourage and allow and empower merchants to be able to, of course, transact a, a purchase and a sale. This design system was built the exact same way. And we also open source that design system. It's called Polaris and Polaris for retail. And if you go to the Polaris Shopify website, once again, you also will see that in action. So even companies that are traditionally closed, like IBM, like Shopify, like any for-profit company, quite honestly, even those companies are starting to open up and make that process transparent. They might not show you the features that they're working on, like what Mozilla graciously does for us, but they at least show you that window into the world. And that I feel like is, has matured our collective discipline by years because it allows the designer that is right now learning as a student or maybe in their first years of their career tenure, it allows them to just completely accelerate their learning. They're able to like immerse themselves into a design system, study it, really understand and through that process, hopefully they can also begin to think in systems. So I'm very passionate about design systems. And every time that a company releases more design systems into the open and more documentation into the open, I'm like cheering them in the sidelines. I hop a skip uh, whenever I see that. It gets me very excited. I would love to talk about what you put down here at the very end about your evergreen career goals because those were very succinctly written and I'd love to hear you talk about them. My three maxims I have, and I discovered them early in my career and I, I continue to tweak them. My evergreen goals, I always say, are to, to lead with kindness, to share courage with others, and to find happiness, not in the goal, but in the pursuit of it. And my experience has taught me each of these three pillars. Open source, honestly, is speckled in all three of them. Open source communities have taught me how to lead with kindness. Teaching has taught me how to share courage with others because as you know, design is not perfect. Design is hard. Design is yes about making choices and also about communicating those choices in a way that other people can connect with it. Stakeholders, clients can connect. So it requires you to speak different languages. It also requires you to sometimes take some damage on the beauty that you have created and the product that you've created, you have to divorce yourself from that. That requires courage. And lastly, the, the finding happiness, not in the goal, but in the pursuit of it. Design as a discipline, as a collective discipline, design has taught me that. It's not that I think that designers are not happy. I consider myself a very optimistic person, but I feel like finding happiness in the end result is the wrong metric to measure and to evaluate. A good designer finds happiness in that pursuit of nurturing a product forward in the context of an open source community. Open source projects are rarely done. They are rarely closed. They're always evolving. Someone is always nurturing it. Someone always has the curiosity and the interest to make it a little bit better and then a little bit better yet again. And it's that pursuit that I have found happiness in which I have found happiness, that pursuit of making something incrementally clearer, more beneficial and more purposeful for others to use and to experience. Earlier in my career, I would find happiness in the goal, in shipping something. And I realized 
no, that's not the right way of looking at things. Instead, I should find happiness in the fact that I got there and then what is next. So that pursuit is something that um, also drives me forward each and every day. I think that that's good advice for anything at all. Living for the weekend, living for the end of work, living for the end of desire is not healthy. It's not the way to move forward. It's the way to never end. And if you receive happiness from the practice, if you receive happiness from the pursuit, if you can look at Monday with a similar amount of joy, perhaps not as much as you look at Friday, then what's the point of worrying about whether or not it will all come crashing down because you're just moving forward with it anyway. Exactly. You will be focused on the journey, on the pursuit. Absolutely. Yep. I think that there's a lot of people who have said that far more eloquently than I have. And I think it's marvelous. I think that's really good. So Spotlight is a little section on each episode that we share something that provides value or an impact on our personal career or life. We'd like to draw attention and show gratitude to those projects and maintainers and maybe get the word out to someone else who hears this and follows down the path. So Ricardo, with that said, why don't you talk a little bit about Raycast? Absolutely. So Raycast itself is not an open source project. However, Raycast does welcome app developers to be able to contribute to it. So what Raycast is, is a launcher. It replaces Spotlight in a Mac environment. So if you use a Mac and you press command spacebar and Spotlight opens up, well, Raycast replaces that. And if you've ever used something like Alfred, for example, it's very similar to that. Where Raycast, you know, I completely fell in love with it is its developer program. It allows completely independent developers, you and I, January, we could create something and we could put it out there and folks could start using it for free. Uh, so there's this one plugin author, his name is Loris, and maybe we can add his link in the show notes. Loris created extensions that anyone can download and download for free and install on their own Raycast Spotlight. The one extension that I downloaded and Loris authored that I use each and every day is an extension for Things. Things is a to-do app. And what Loris created was a way for users of Raycast to access things straight from the spotlight bar that they are given. You're able to search and manage your to-do list straight from Raycast. And he's created other extensions as well, but it is through this work these developers that just are completely volunteering their time, their effort, their energy, and now we know their curiosity as well, that I believe has made Raycast into a fantastic app that I would definitely recommend uh, for others. There's a plethora of extensions that have been written by developers, by the community, and I'm very grateful. I don't know Loris, but I am very grateful for him. Marvelous. Well, thank you, Loris. We'll throw a link up to his page on Raycast and a link to Raycast in general in the show notes. And as for me, I would love to touch on Penpot very briefly. We spoke earlier about the marvels and joys of Figma. Well, Penpot is being developed by an open source community as a, I won't say improvement, but a fully open source, fully transparent developer community of a collaborative cross-platform design system. Penpot uses the same open standards that we can open up with Adobe Illustrator, that we can open in Adobe XD, they can open SVG files in Penpot, and 
It's a marvelous system that's in its beta 1.11 system right now. And I was fortunate enough to watch one of their launch live streams when they first went up with it. And it really intrigued me. And I've been, although I am an absolute dog for Figma and all of the different integrations they do have. And so knowing that community and seeing all this in the Penpot community, I've been trying to, you know, apply this more often in my own design and learn more about everything that they're doing because I'm so excited to see it at its full, you know, 1.0 launch when it really comes out because there's so much stuff out there so far and they're only going to get better. I'm just taking a look at it now. This looks incredible. Doesn't this just give you like chills? Isn't it incredible that there are open source teams and communities that are building things like this? It's insane to me. It is. This is what makes it magical. I had never heard of of Pempon until now, but I'm definitely going to check it out. It's really marvelous. There's a couple of integrations that they've, or rather changes that they've made to the UI that makes this old Adobe dog a little bit happier. You know, there's a couple of things that I just felt way more intuitive with. And it was really cool to play around in that space. And we're using it more and more. It has a prototype system the same way as Figma does. It has a design system similar to Figma's, but it's great. It's marvelous. And it does absolutely give me chills at the fact that people are creating this for, how did you put it? Creators of the web and not consumers. You got it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Completely agree. Well, on that note, is there anything else you'd like to talk about in the last couple of minutes that we have? I added in my links a podcast that I write. Mind you, there's only three episodes and I take my sweet time with these episodes. But in the spirit of storytelling and framing narratives, listeners are interested in storytelling techniques. There's a one podcast that I, I author is called Full Hearts Podcast. It is a podcast about the intersection of design, leadership, and the Anthropocene. So that's the world around us. I take stories from my life and my experience, and then I overlay design on it and how, what we can learn from those experiences and port them into design. Uh, so maybe that's the one shout out that I'd like to give. Fantastic. Well, I've just thrown it in the show notes and we will be sure to get that out there as well. Thank you so much, Ricardo. Thank you. This has been wonderful. 